We're in a series called Christians with Addictions. It comes from Psalm 51, and every sermon in the series, as you can see, starts letter R. I do that so you'll remember it. How many of you remembered all the sermons in this series so far? All 35 of them. Y'all remember? Okay, let's see. Remove it off the screen. What was part one? What was part two? Y'all are just making up R words, aren't you? Roar. Rough. <laughs> okay, whatever. Anyway, okay, point part 10 today, I want to talk to you about receive. Receive, and here's why. We tend to spend most of our life struggling on changing ourselves and fixing our problems and overcoming and battling addictions and, and overcoming sin, and we do this for God, and we do it for our spouse, and we do it for ourselves, when Christianity is all about receiving. And you can never give what you don't have. You can never become what you haven't received. It's all about receiving God's love and His mercy and His, His grace and His forgiveness on a daily basis. I would love to stand up here and preach to you and say, hey, if you do good things, God will be good to you. But if you do bad things, He's not going to be good to you. That is totally unbiblical. Do you know you can do bad things and God is still trying to be good to you if you'll just receive it? You can literally be in the middle of a disobedient act, spitting in the face of God, and he is thinking this, I want to be good to you. I want to be good to you. I want to be good to you. Just receive my goodness. Romans 2, 4 says this, are you ignorant of the fact that the goodness of God leads you to repent or change the way you think or seek his purpose for your life? Here's what the scripture just said that blows a lot of your theology out of the door. It says this, when you're doing the wrong thing, God is trying to get you to receive good things from him. You can be doing, you could be thinking the wrong way, going the wrong way, and God is saying this, will you please receive my goodness? Will you please let me be good to you? See, it's that that changes us. It is not the trying and I'm going to do better and please God, I'm going to do, please, I know I'm unworthy, please, I'm going to do better. God's saying, just receive from me. Just take what I have for you on a daily basis. That's what's going to change your life. So there's three things we need to receive daily when it comes to God's goodness. And I'm going to go ahead and give you all three points today, and then I'm going to explain it. It's going to sound confusing, but I'll, I'll make it okay. We need to receive this, grace, mercy, and justice. For your notes, grace, mercy, and justice. Grace is this, giving someone what they do not deserve. You don't deserve for God to be good to you, but that's his grace. He does it anyway. You don't deserve heaven, but that's his grace. He gives it to you as a free gift. All you got to do is receive it. The mercy of God is not giving us what we deserve because we deserve hell. We deserve hell, but in his mercy, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Now watch this. Justice is this, giving someone exactly what they deserve, exactly, to balance out the scales. We deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve to have to pay to get into heaven. We deserve to have to make right all the things we've done wrong. So how can God be merciful and just at the same time? How can he not give you what you deserve and give you exactly what you deserve at the exact same time? I'm going to explain that 28 minutes from now. That's a teaser, so you have to wait, okay? Um, God is 100% whatever he is, he's 100%. He's not 99.9% .9 knowledgeable. He's omniscient. He's all knowledge. You understand that? He knows all. God's not super powerful. He is power. He's all powerful, okay? God is 100% gracious, 100% merciful, and 100% just 
all the time. His attributes are not warring against each other. Um, God is 100% good all the time. Everything good that's ever happened to you is from God. If something happened to you that's not good, don't you dare blame God on that. It was not God. Or you just don't understand it and it actually was something good and you don't really understand it. Either way, he's 100% good all the time, all the time. I have five kids and I had my first child at 16 years old and I started reading parenting books and you know I'm a teenager and on the weekends I got my child and coming from school got my kid and so I wanted to be the best dad I could be and then I started having more kids you know and and we got married really young and I was seminars and and I learned about spanking and discipline and I learned about how to every child sees God you know the picture of God comes from their earthly father so I had to teach them about that and all and so out of my five kids I never have had to ever spank my daughter ever not once of my four boys three of them I only had to spank them each one time that's it once for not eating what we told them to eat another one for lying another one for bad attitude just one time never had to spank them again my other son I've had to spank over 500 times <laughs> in fact one time and I, I'm, I'm not going to use his name because you know I told you like in a sermon but we're going to call him Shaq okay so Shaq <laughs> Shaq was coming down the stairs, and uh, he did something he shouldn't. He's yelling and stuff, and, and, and he just he totally did something wrong, and I needed to spank him right there, and I got angry. So I grabbed one of the little kids that had this little golf set from Walmart that was made out of plastic, like a 12-inch putter. And uh, so I grabbed the golf little toy, and I, I took Shaq, and I spanked Shaq with the toy, and um, the toy broke in half. So I got one kid crying because I just broke his toy. The one I spanked is laughing because it broke when I tried to spank him. And to this day, that son tells people, you know, my dad hit me with a golf club one time when I was little. I said, I did not hit you with a golf club. So I spanked you with a 12-inch plastic toy that broke, okay? I did not hit you with a golf club. Okay, either way. So I was learning about how to be like God with my kids. So one day I pulled Shaq aside when he did something wrong. And I said, you know, you, you, you deserve a spanking today. But I want to show you what God is like. God is a merciful God. So today, even though you deserve a spanking, I'm, I'm not going to spank you. I'm going to be like God. That lesson totally backfired on me for the rest of my life. Anytime he needed a spanking, Daddy, be like God. Just be like, why won't you be like God, Dad? Just be like God. So I thought, well, I'm going to teach you about the justice of God. So the next time he got in trouble, I said, okay, son, uh, you did wrong, and someone is going to have to be spanked for the sin that you just committed. He said, how about Eli? Again, the lesson did not work very well in my back. It just didn't work. Okay, so I'm going to give you my three points. I'm going to teach you about these three. And at the end of the sermon, I'll tell you how God can be 100% all of them at the same time. But before I do, I found a scripture that has all three points in the same verse. Isn't that cool? I found a scripture that has all three points in the same verse. Isn't that cool? I don't overdo it. You don't have to overdo it, okay? Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you that he may have mercy on you for the Lord is a God of justice. Isn't that beautiful? Such a beautiful, okay. Three points. Point number one is this, grace. Grace. Ephesians 2, 8 says this, for by free grace, everybody say free. free. You are saved through faith. It's free grace and you're saved through faith. It was nothing you did because it's free. It was a gift from God that's free, not of works, because it's free, lest anyone should boast, because it's free. It's either free or earned. If it's earned, it can't be free. If it's free, it can't be earned. 
If you add 1% to grace, it's no longer grace. If you had to walk an aisle to give your life to Jesus, it wasn't grace because you just did something. If you had to say the sinner's prayer to be saved, it, it, it wasn't grace because you just did something. You don't do anything to grace. All you can do is receive it. If you had to lift your hand at the end of a sermon to give your life to Jesus, it was no longer grace because you just did something. I don't know if you know this. You can't breathe without God's grace. So you think you can do this without God's grace already in your life? The millisecond that somebody recognizes, I need Jesus to, I, I can't get to heaven without Jesus. In that millisecond, they were saved. Now, the raising of the hand or the walking the aisle or the saying the sinner's prayer, that's fruit of you were already saved. Before your mouth opened up to say the sinner's prayer, you were already saved. Before your hand went up in the air, you were, when you knew you needed Jesus just to live, you were saved in that moment. You say, well, the sinner's prayer, what if someone's on their deathbed and they can't talk? And in their heart, they know they need Jesus. You think God's like, well, you can't talk, so you're going to hell. Or what if they get half through, halfway through the prayer and they have a heart attack and die? Well, you're just on the fence. We'll give you hell half the time and heaven. No, it doesn't work like that. You can't add nothing to the grace of God. Amen. It is totally a gift. It was paid for because it cost the blood of Jesus Christ, but it was given to you as a gift. Now, you got to receive it, but it's a gift. If this Friday your boss walks into work and hands you a paycheck and says, I got a present for you. I just thought about you and I thought I'd give you this gift and hand you your paycheck, you're going to think this, that's not a gift. I earned that. I actually had to work and do something to get that. But if you were late every day this week, you had a bad attitude, you played on your phone all day, you left work early, and your boss walks in and hands you a check for $100,000, that's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. It's a total gift. Now, here's the thing. you got to receive it. It could be sitting there all day long. you got to deposit it. You got to receive it in your life. Uh, I found a true story. It took place in uh, Georgia, Duluth or Duluth, Duluth, Georgia. And uh, this kid, he was raised in church. He loved Jesus. He served his church. He was saved when he was a teenager. He turned 21 years old, and he started hanging out with the wrong crowd one night. And on his birthday, these kids talked him into getting drunk. So he's drunk as a skunk, and they're riding the roads of Georgia. All of a sudden, it's like midnight, and they see this 40-foot telephone pole sticking out the ground with these, um, these bars, these, these metal bars on the side all the way to the top. So they dared the kid, the Christian, the 21-year-old boy, to climb to the top of the telephone pole, you know, peer pressure. He gets out the car, he climbs to the top, drunk as a skunk. When he gets to the very top of the 40-foot telephone pole, he loses his footing and he falls backwards to sudden, um, certain death. He, we know he's going to die. As he's falling, his leather belt somehow miraculously got caught on one of the bars that were sticking out of the side of the telephone pole and acted like a harness and saved his life. And he's dangling there upside down, drunk. He looks down and his friends, they just take off and leave. They leave him there. Somebody calls the fire department. It took the fire department two hours till 2 a.m. They finally show up at 2 a.m. to get the kid down. They said that his, his, his blue pants turned brown by the time they got there. But he was hanging there, drunk as a skunk. You know, they saved his life. And I actually have an article. You actually can find the article online. But the newspaper the next day said, uh, pants saved drunk man from certain death. Okay, listen. The Bible says that, that, that love, that, that grace covers a multitude of sins. You know, grace also covers a multitude of stupidity. 
How many of you in your life, in the middle of you doing something stupid, God was still being good to you? Don't you ever tell me God's not a good God. You were doing something stupid that you know you shouldn't have done, and yet God still, in His grace, was giving you His goodness. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. I mean, listen, can you testify that in your ignorance and your moronic behavior, God was still there? How many times has that happened to you? Hundreds, thousands, you're doing the wrong thing and God is still being good to you. It's, tell, don't try to earn it. Don't try to deserve it. Just receive it. I want to read some scripture. You're not going to know where I'm going, but we'll figure it out in a second together. Okay, so stay with me. Exodus 2.11. Moses went out and killed an Egyptian, hid his body in the sand. Genesis 4.8. Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Both men committed murder. Moses led two million people into the promised land after the murder. Cain's life just kind of dwindled away and ended after the murder. Jonah 1.3, Jonah went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. 1 Samuel 15.9, Saul completely disobeyed the Lord. Both men did the opposite of what God asked them to do. Jonah ended up preaching to thousands in Nineveh, and Saul had the kingdom removed away from him. Uh, Luke 22.60, Peter denied Jesus three times. When the Lord looked at him, he went out and wept. Mark 14.45, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Both were friends, disciples of Jesus Christ, and both of them turned their back on the Lord when he needed a friend more than ever. But the Bible says in Matthew 27.5, Judas hanged himself. In Acts 2.41, Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. Judas killed himself. Peter became one of the greatest pastors in the New Testament. It's not the sin that stops us from fulfilling our destiny. It's the failure to receive God's grace in the midst of the sin. Don't you ever think the addiction is what's going to stop you. Don't you ever think the disobedience is what's going to stop you. Don't you ever think the sin is going to stop you. It is you not receiving the free gift of God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited kindness and favor that He offers to you every single day of your life. Just receive it. That's what will change you. That's what will change you. That You can't change yourself. All you can do is receive from God. Point number two is this, mercy mercy. I'm going to give you another scripture that's going to blow your mind theologically if you really, really grasp it. Confidently and boldly, Hebrews 4.16, confidently and boldly approach this perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful God, this perfect being that created the universe. Go to where he sits on his throne. Here's why. To get something from him. Well, obviously, we're going to get something from them because we've done a lot of good things, right? To receive mercy, watch this, for every failure. Do you know how many Christians, they approach God's throne, their noses in the air, and uh, they say, God, I want you to know, I forgave that person that, that, that did me wrong. I finally forgave them. God, did you see all the money that I put in the offering box today? I'm such a good Christian. God, do you see how I'm really trying to overcome in this area? And God's thinking, why are you coming to my throne with that? You think you did that? You didn't do none of that. If there's anything good you did, it was me through you. When you come to my throne, here's why you come to my perfect, all-powerful throne. Because you messed up. You come to my throne to receive, to get something, to get the fact that I'm not going to give you what you deserve, to get my mercy. Doesn't that blow your mind, like, theologically? Like, that's why we, if we could get this, do you know how our life would change Every day if we'd realize, um, God, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. I need your Instead of, oh, God, I'm going to try to do good today. I'm going to try to be better. 
Psalms 136, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 26. I, I want to do something. I did it in first service. It worked out well. And I'm not saying that first service is smarter than y'all. Well, let's just see how it goes. So all the highlighted words y'all are going to read, and I'm going to read the non-highlighted words, okay? But I need everybody to participate. And here's the thing. I like to read really fast, okay? So all of you Southerners are going to have to probably not play in the game. But anyway, okay. Okay. Try really hard, okay? Try really hard. Ready? Psalms 136. Praise the Lord for He is good. Praise the God of gods. Praise the Lord of lords. Who alone has done great wonders. Who skillfully made the heavens. Who spread the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. Don't get weak on me. The moon and stars to rule by night. Who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And led Israel from their midst. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Who split the Red Sea in two. And led Israel through its midst. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Who led people through the desert. Who struck down the great kings. Slew powerful kings. And made their lands a heritage. A heritage for Israel his servant. Let me tell you how smart y'all are. Y'all just memorized half of an entire chapter in the Bible. Y'all memorized half of an entire chapter in the Bible. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are amazing. I bet you could do it in another language too if we taught you that. Y'all are so good. Um, can you remember your part of this psalm? I need you to remember it for about a few minutes. So remember your part of the psalm. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, God is faithful and he will keep his covenant of mercy. And show constant, we sang this song today. He'll show covenant and keep constant love to a thousand generations of those who love him. That means that when you love Jesus, he promises that when your kids do wrong, he won't punish them. When your grandkids do wrong, he'll show them mercy. When your great-grandchildren aren't going the right way, God's not going to give them what they deserve. He'll show them mercy because he's faithful and he always keeps his word. In Psalm 89, it's a beautiful chapter in the Bible, God made this covenant with David. You can put it on the screen. And it's a covenant that was established not in the courts of law, but in the highest court in the universe. I made a covenant of mercy with David, established in the heavens. I'll protect his seed. I'll be good to them. I'll protect them. I'll show them loving kindness. If they disobey me, if they do the wrong thing, I'm going to show them mercy and I'll never abandon them. God says they'll even show our kids this mercy. Now, uh, David left Solomon uh, billions of dollars, but he actually left him something greater than that. He left him a covenant of mercy with Almighty God. Um, Eleven years after David died, his son Solomon finished building the temple. It was the most beautiful building ever built on planet Earth. And they had this big dedication service. This dazzling light came shining through from the heavens. It, the glory like a cloud filled the room. People were falling on their face. It's amazing why it happened. Second Chronicles 5.13, when the singers with cymbals, harps, and trumpets all sang, what did they sing? The Lord is good and his the glory of the Lord filled the house so the priest could even stand and minister. They were singing Psalm 136. They were singing a song that David wrote about the mercy of God. Um, when they finished the dedication prayer, the last words out of Solomon's mouth in 2 Chronicles 6.42 were this, Oh God, remember the love and mercies that you promised my father. It's like Solomon tugged on the heartstrings of God when he said, I know you're so good to not give us what we deserve. 
23 years after David died, Solomon was hanging out with some foreign women. They talked him into worshiping these false idols. In 1 Kings 11, 11, God said, because you've disobeyed my commands, here's what you deserve. You deserve for me to take away all the blessings in your life. Because you did the wrong thing, you deserve for me to take away all the good things I've done for you. However, I'm not going to do it because I'm a faithful God. I keep my word and I have a covenant of mercy with your father. For my mercy's sake, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. 57 years after David died, Jeroboam, this is David's grandson, same thing, he's doing the wrong thing, turned his back on God. 1 Kings 15, 4, God said, Jeroboam, here's what you deserve. You actually deserve judgment, but I'm not going to do it. Because the mercy that I promised to your grandfather, David. 305 years after David died, his great, great, great grandson Hezekiah is on the throne. This evil army surrounds them. He knows he's a goner. He says, God, please help us. One angel comes out of the clouds and destroys 185,000 enemy troops. Everybody's celebrating and dancing. And Hezekiah says, God, why would you do this? And in 2 Kings 19.34, God said this, I'm going to protect you all because of a promise that I made and I always keep my word and I would show David and his seed generation after generation after generation my mercy and my love. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is king of Judah and these three evil armies surrounded them. Once again, they knew they were a goner, didn't know what to do. In verse 15, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon a hard guy's name, and it says, The battle is not yours, it belongs to God. In verse 21, Jehoshaphat said, Here's what we're going to do. We need to put the singers out in front of the army. Now, I just need you to visualize this with me. you got these big, strong warrior dudes with, let's modernize it, with some guns in their hand, right? Some AK-47s or 57s or whatever a gun is called. And they have these rifles and all these things. And then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to go fight this evil army. There's three against one. We're going to beat them. Here's what we're going to do. You know that little girl that sang on a mic today? Let's put her out front. And the lady that plays the congas, let's stick her out there too, right in front of all the big, strong dudes. And the bass player, he looks like he could kill somebody. Let's put him out front too. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell him I said that and so in verse 22 it says this when they began singing the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever the Moabites, Ammonites and Seir they all got confused and they struck each other down and, jo and the Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat and the people they all were victorious here's why they kept receiving the fact God you're not going to give us what we deserve you're not going to give us what we deserve you're such a good God to not give us what we deserve point number three is justice this is where God gives you exactly what you deserve Isaiah 61 verse 8 says for I the Lord love justice so how can God give us what we deserve and at the exact same time not give us what we deserve um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you all in this room, you love justice. Like, you love it. When somebody does you wrong, you want them to pay for what they did to you. Yes or no? Yes. If someone steals from you, you want them to return it with interest. Yes or no? If someone hurts your child, you want them to suffer. Yes or no? Unless you do something wrong, then you want mercy. When you go to court for a speeding ticket, what do you want? You want justice or mercy? mercy. You want mercy. <laughs> Please don't give me. Did you do it wrong? Yes, I did wrong. Don't give me what I deserve. 
show me mercy, judge, show me mercy. So how can God do this? Okay, the way it works is, I'll explain to you like the old scales of justice. Remember the, the balanced scales of justice they had back in the day? A lot of people think the way those scales work is, is the prosecutor who's against you and the defense attorney who's for you, they think that the prosecutor puts all of their evidence on one side and the defense attorney puts all of their evidence on the other side and whichever side weighs more determines if you're guilty or if you're innocent. That's not how the scales of justice work. Um, the prosecutor puts all of their evidence on one side, you know, the, the video surveillance that shows you did it, and the defense attorney puts all of their evidence on the same side, your alibi, your friends that say you weren't there, all that stuff. The other side of the scale actually sits justice. In fact, when you see the old scales, the word justice isn't written in the middle, it's written on one side. So all the good and all the bad that's in court, it's all on the same side. Then the judge is supposed to render an application of justice. When he renders his verdict, it's supposed to be the application of justice. In other words, he hears everything, good and bad. If he finds you guilty, whatever your punishment is, 30 days in jail, $5,000 fine, that's supposed to balance out the scales of justice. If he hears all the evidence, good or bad, he or she hears all the evidence, good or bad, and, 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 and they finally, and he says you're innocent, and innocent is supposed to balance out the scales of justice. The way a lot of Christians think it works with God, maybe they're not Christians, but they think that God looks at your life when you die, and he takes all the good and puts it on one side, and all the bad and puts it on the other side, and whichever side weighs more. If all the good weighs more, you go to heaven. If the bad weighs more, you go to hell. That's not how the scales of justice work. Because you can't do, in fact, if you did anything good, it's like filthy rags, the Bible says. So God takes your whole life, good and bad, and puts it all on one side. And then God, because he is just, he sits on the other side. And when he does that, you'll always be lacking. Now, you can jump up and down on your side. You can, uh, you know, come to church another thousand or two thousand times. You can forgive all your enemies. You can give all your money away. You can live like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, and Martin Luther King Jr. all at the same time. And that's like adding one feather against a million pounds. Because the only way you're going to get to heaven is to be equal with God. The scales have to balance out. So what are we going to do? Because whenever justice is demanded, you'll always be lacking when God's sitting on the opposite side as you. When his justice confronts you, you'll never be equal. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be sin for us so that we could be made right with God. Isaiah, 90, Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my face to those who plucked the hair from my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. He was crucified, a crown of thorns went in his head. He was beat, he was scourged until his spine was shown. And every single time a hair was pulled out of his beard, your scales began to balance out. Every time they whipped him and beat him for your sin, your scales began to balance out. And when you receive Jesus into your life, he sits on your side of the scale. And God looks at you and says, equal. Amen. Because he gave Jesus everything you deserve. 
so that he could not give you what you deserve. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? But again, you have to receive it. You have to receive it. God's justice demanded payment. Here's what's so beautiful about this too, about these two scriptures. I, only, I, there was, I had 24 of them. I just chose these two. Here's why. He didn't just take your sin. He took your punishment. Somebody had to be spanked. Somebody had to pay for it. Somebody had to get beat. Somebody had to get whipped. This means, this is such good news because it means this. God can never punish you. Because a just judge will not punish two people for the same crime. So if you receive Jesus, listen, you can never be punished by God. Amen. Do you know if you receive Jesus, God can never be angry with you because his wrath was already poured out? Do you know in Hebrews it says God will never leave me for, nor forsake me? But what if I'm turning my back on God, spitting in his face and doing the wrong thing? Well, if you have Jesus in your heart, listen, God forsook Jesus on the cross. Jesus took everything. He took it all. So that you could be made right with God. Let me show you the last scripture. And um, you've, you've seen the scripture a thousand times, but never in this light. 1 John 1 9 says this If we confess our sins, He is faithful and, does it say merciful? Does it say gracious? See, a lot of people think it's the mercy that saved us, the grace that saved us. That's true. It is also the justice of God that forgave your sins. Isn't that an amazing scripture now when you see it like this? It was the justice of God that gave Jesus everything we deserve so we could be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Um, at the end of World War I, the United States allocated some funds for the orphans that were left in Europe that, that had no parents. At one of the orphanages, a true story, this very old and feeble man brought in a very thin, malnourished little girl. He went to the front desk. He said, I'd like for you to take care of my little girl, please. <clears throat> they said, is she your daughter? And when he said, yes, she is, they said, we're so sorry. We only have limited funds from the United States, and our rules and policies are as such that we cannot take any children if even one of their parents is still alive. He said, but I've been living in prison camps, and now I'm too old. I'm too sick to even take care of myself. I can't work. If you don't take my little girl, she's going to die. They felt compassion for the old man, but they told him, our hands are limited. There's, no, there's nothing we can do. The man said, you mean if I were dead, then you could take my little daughter and you could feed her and clothe her and give her a home? They said, yeah, that's how it works. So the father picked up his little girl and he hugged her and he kissed her for the very last time. And he put her hand in the hand of the man at the front desk and he said these words I will arrange it he walked out of the orphanage and he hung himself I told you that story because there's another story that is very similar to that story one day Jesus said to the father you mean if I die <laughs> they can live with you they can walk with you they can talk with you. You will give them a home with you for all of eternity. And God the Father said, yeah, that's how it works. And Jesus smiled and said, then I'll arrange it. Then Jesus put my hand in the hand of the Father's hand. He walked out of heaven and he hung himself, by the way. He said, no man takes my life. I give it freely. He hung on a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary so that God could be full of grace 
full of mercy and full of justice all at the exact same time. Praise the Lord. And that's what it means to receive.